three. The radio is playing something nice, and it's Friday night once again. Hear the band, they're playing it all just right. And the sun is shining outdoors, my friend. Oh, keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. Keep on that sunny side of life. Well, it will help us every day. It will brighten all our ways if you keep on that sunny side alive. Oh, you are listening to Sean of the South. And I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich, coming to you live on a sleepy Friday night from the heart of Northwest Florida. This episode is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. This episode is all about food, all about good food tonight. We asked for recipes from all over the internet and all over Facebook. We got overloaded with recipes. And the winner tonight is going to win a air uh, a golden skillet that's right it's a trophy a golden skillet we've got the whole studio set up like a kitchen i've got a special guest in here who i'll announce a little bit later my wife's in here and my dog oh boy you don't want to know how much fun we're having there's a smell of a casserole in the air and everyone is gathered around the stove To see what our mama's baking there She's making something good with lots of love Sing it with me now! Keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side Keep on that sunny side of life It will help us every day, it will brighten all our ways If we keep on that sunny side of life This episode also brought to you by Folklore Brewing and Meadery Quite literally the best brew in Alabama Visit FolkloreBrewingandMeadery.com And WMC Original Music Music of the Carolinas and of the nation My buddy Ron Taylor helps curate the music for this podcast Every single blessed week And for that, he deserves a golden skillet himself (laughs) Or maybe a golden radio or something a little more applicable to his line of work How about one more time? Sing it with me We'll keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. Keep on that sunny side alive. It will help us every day. It will brighten all our ways. If we keep on that sunny side alive. That good music you hear behind me tonight. Robert Trail, Chip Center, Dan Conroy, and Aaron Peters on that fiddle that you hear right now. Mm. There's a dark and a troubled side of life There's a bright and a sunny side too Though we meet with darkness and strife The sunny side also we may view Whoa, keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side Keep on that sunny side of life it will help us every day, we'll brighten all our ways If we keep on that sunny side of life If we keep on that sunny side of life Man, 
Oh, talk about a high-energy way to start start this bad boy off on a Friday night. Coming to you from the heart of Northwest Florida. Northwest Florida, uh, right by the panhand uh, the uh, the Panhandle's own uh, iconic 129 miles of Sleepy Bay, uh, the Choctahatchee Bay. It is truly where I once found myself, right here on this gray water. I don't know that I'll ever leave. I don't know that I could ever leave this place, uh, possibly because right now I can smell a smell that I associate with my home. It's a smell that has infected this entire studio and everybody in here is is really trying hard to keep their minds on music because it's wafting off from this portable oven that my wife has in the back. Yeah, my mother-in-law is in here with us tonight too. She's gonna walk us through a few recipes. We asked for people to tell us about their heirloom recipes. Now I realize I was I was uh, taking a chance because the uh, last thing you want to do to a Southern Baptist woman, a Methodist woman, uh, or a Holy Roller is to ask them for their heirloom recipes. Episcopalians don't matter, uh, mind. They'll, they'll tell you anything you want to know. Uh, but uh, I realized I took a chance asking that, and I figured nobody would uh, share their recipes. But you want to know what? People surprised me. They gave me their recipes in spades. They took pictures of handwritten recipes. They gave me heirloom recipes that date all the way back to 1893. We got them from all over. We got them from just about every state in the Union, if you can believe it. We got recipes for shepherd's pie, which I don't even know what that is. Uh, we got recipes for, for sweet tater casserole, and God bless it. We got recipes for conge <laughs> congealed silence, which uh, is really just a form of systematic torture on mankind. Uh, we're going to be making a few things. Uh, one such thing is a very classic recipe you don't want to miss coming up. My mother-in-law has been making this ever since the earth cooled, and she's going to walk us through that. My dog was in the studio again this week. She was in the studio last week, and she didn't uh, cause any big problems, so we've let her in here again today. Uh, we're going to be awarding somebody who got the most likes on Facebook an award, a very special award, uh, and I'm holding it right now. You can't see it. Uh, this is the Golden Skillet, the Golden Skillet. This is for somebody who shared their recipe on Facebook and got the most likes. That's coming up on the second half. But right now, I am going to uh, to tell you a about a golden and delicious item that is pretty much exclusive to the South although it has infected the rest of the world. The way it used to be made was they would use a pound of this and a pound of that, a pound of butter, a pound of flour, a pound of sugar. And what they came up with after they combined these pounds was something that I believe that St. Peter will be standing at the gate greeting everybody with as soon as they walk past them abalone gates. And of course, I'm talking about pound cake, pound cake. My mother used to make the best pound cake. I don't know how she did it. It had a touch of vanilla in it. There was there was just some sort of flavor that she used to add that just that uh, separated her pound cake from the rest of the crowd. And let me tell you, I come from fundamentalist people, fundamentalist people who uh, who were afraid to 
to be seen out in public drinking anything besides water. These are the kind of people who know their pound cake because, well, it's the only vice we got, that and a little excess sodium. We're the, we're the kind of folks who uh, we don't take shots of whiskey or Jack Daniels because someone might think we're drinking cough syrup. <laughs> My mother used to make this pound cake, and it, it just entrances me. I can still taste it. It's one of them flavors, one of them things I can close my eyes and I can drift back, you know, drift back into the the far recesses of my own past. You know, it's a, uh, it's a feeling. Uh, they say that smells activate the memory in a way that nothing else can. And I truly, I think I believe that because smells are tied to your taste buds. You smell through your taste buds. The, the, the air that you breathe in through your nose runs over your taste buds. And that's, that's how you smell. So taste and smell are directly related. This is why my wife is notorious for sp smelling things that a lot of people can't smell. She's like most women. Women have have uh, classically better noses than men, whereas uh, a woman can smell, you know, things that I can't smell. I have a hard time telling that uh, that my bo is is starting to you know make the people around me faint. And then you got my wife. She can smell a rotted grape from six houses down the street. Well, my mother used to make this wonderful pound cake, and I have uh, written a, a short uh, story and song for, for this wonderful, delectable treat for pound cake. Maestro, how about it? Nights are long Since I moved away I used to eat your golden stuff Morning, night and day Mama's pound cake oh, Her pound cake Her pound cake was so tried And so true It's lonely way out in the cruel world your golden taste helps every boy and every girl <laughs> Delicious, but non-nutritious Pound cake, I love you The days are long now that I'm on my own Being an adult is not all it's cracked up to be But mama's pound cake her pound cake Oh, it'd be a welcome friend It's hard to stay happy all day When life comes at you from every which away But pound cake Oh, pound cake I can make it to the end
Nights are long since I moved away When I was a kid I ate you every single day Mama's pound cake, oh, with butter Her pound cake was so tried and true It's lonely way out there in the cruel world But your golden taste helps every boy and every girl Delicious, non-nutritious Oh, but pound cake I love you Oh, I do like, I do like pound cake. Uh, we got a lot of recipes for pound cake uh, on the, on the, uh, well, on every avenue. We get, you know, we get a lot of snail mail lately. You might not re- uh, realize that. A lot of people don't think people send snail mail anymore. Let me tell you, they do. And we get a lot of it. I love it. Uh, uh, I would like to say thank you to my mail carrier who during this coronavirus pandemic is always wearing her gloves and her mask, and she is faithful and steady and true. The mail carriers are working very, very hard, and they are delivering a lot. You're going to like this. They are delivering a lot of bacon supplies and food via the U.S. mail. That's right. People are ordering record amounts of food via the U.S. mail, primarily bacon supplies. This means that people are responding to a really tough time indoors with food, sugar, white flour, and copious amounts of cholesterol, enough to make your cardiologist break out into a nervous sweat. This is what it means to be part of the human race. And now I'm going to read you a few stories and recipes we got over the air, uh, over the internet. I, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, snail mail, email, messenger, you name it. We get messages in about 30,000 different places. Uh, if you would like to message us anything, speaking of which, you can. You can just go to seanofthesouthshow.com. There's a contact form on that page. You can message us anything you want, anything at all, at any time of day or night. And we will do our best to rate it over the air if it is PG rated. <laughs> Let me have a little music here. All right. Sherry Dennis Fisher says, My granny Cunningham was the champion of grandmothers. Oh, Sean. She and my granddaddy owned a dairy farm in western Kentucky. Their typical day started at dawn for the morning milking. Then, She would come into the house just to make breakfast of homemade biscuits, eggs, sausage or bacon, and of course, gravy. She washed dishes because she never owned a dishwasher, didn't trust them. Then she headed to the garden or the tobacco patch where she'd work until about 11 o'clock. Then she'd return home to cook, quote unquote, dinner, which was the main meal of our day. Usually three or four vegetables with cornbread and meat like fried chicken, pork chops, or fried steaks, or you get the idea. Plus, always, always a dessert, because my granddaddy always wanted a bite of something sweet. And after everyone ate, she'd wash dishes as the men took their afternoon naps. Unnecessary uh, evil after such a big meal. Uh, 
and then back to the garden she would go until time for evening milking again. Supper was leftovers from dinner bowls, which were always left on the stove with saucers placed on top. <laughs> no one ever got food poison. Imagine that. She did all this in addition, Sean, to regular cleaning and laundry and cannon and freezing and sewing and quilting. And here's the important part, Sean. She never, never, never complained. Her only day off was Sunday. But the cows still had to be milked, and she often cooked a big Sunday dinner for the family. Oh, I could write a book about her. And well, I guess I almost have. The recipe I'm sharing is, is the simplest little cookie of all time. She made them for her grandchildren and great-grandchildren, who often came to spend the night because she truly was the champion grandmother. Each year since 2011, she would have been 100. The female grandkids and daughters and daughters-in-laws and, and hens and chicks brunch on her birthday to celebrate this incredible woman. We all loved her so. If you want to find uh, this recipe, you get on Facebook, you'll find it. It's called Granny's Cookies. Granny's Cookies. Just look up Sherry Dennis Fisher. You can find all these recipes online. Just go on Facebook and read the comments on, on that post. You'll find them, and you'll find some good stuff. Nothing will be better than what you're about to hear next. Written by Helen Taylor Andrews. Helen Taylor Andrews. Tomato gravy. Dear Holy Lord. Listen to this. Just listen to this. Four tablespoons bacon drippings, four tablespoons flour, one can of diced tomatoes, and or three or four large fresh garden tomatoes. Salt and pepper to taste. Put bacon drippings in skillet over high heat until it's really hot. And add the flour and then whip it into a little slurry until it's golden brown. Then you add the tomatoes and one cup of water. And you make that gravy a little bit looser until it's, uh, you know, just how you need it. And you don't call it tomato gravy like I just did. I did that for the convenience of everybody listening to this. You call it tomato gravy. If you really say it fast, uh, like folks in my family, it's tomato gravy. It sounds like uh, something from another language. Let me tell you, I've met a lot of people in our travels throughout the Southeast and throughout the, the country. People don't always know in the South, too, what tomato gravy is. It might be sort of a, a regional thing. I'm not sure. I, I don't know this, but I have wondered if it's not just a South Alabama thing. And, of course, the... Uh, the region I live in, Northwest Florida, is lovingly referred to as L.A., Lower Alabama, because originally, a long, long time ago, we were actually part of Alabama before the government decided that we uh, needed to be fit into another tax bracket. Anyway, tomato gravy. Tomato gravy is a blessing from on high. If there's anything better than that pink or reddish colored tomato gravy, I don't care to know what it is. Put on biscuits, and you, uh, well, you can have your doctor's exam later that week. Paula Smith Beard. My dear Aunt Grace Lee's black walnut pound cake was my favorite thing on my grandmother's dessert buffet every year for Christmas dinner. She and my dad and their seven brothers and sisters, along with spouses and children, made a loud, wonderful Christmas dinner every year. Only one aunt remains with us today, but the sweet memories will last forever and this uh, old-fashioned black walnut cake 
looks like it could stop a musk oxen's heart. We were making that soon. I'm looking across the studio at my wife, who is with my mother-in-law, and they are getting things ready on their counter so that when I finish reading these, uh, we're going to do something. Are we almost ready? Okay. Let me read a few more. This is from Matthew Moore. Sean, I don't use recipes when I cook. That's why I didn't submit nothing. <laughs> I do use recipes for bacon, but when I'm making anything else, I don't have a recipe. The closest I get is my pinto beans. Growing up, I never liked pinto beans, but my dad did. Dad loved them. He grew up the son of a Baptist preacher and carpenter, so beans were a staple of their diet. Now that I'm a Baptist preacher, <laughs> it's my turn to keep my wife and my daughter supplied with beans. Dad used to tell me all the time growing up that five days a week they'd have beans and taters. On Saturdays, because they were feeling fancy, they'd have taters and beans. As I got older, I began to appreciate a good pot of beans and learned how to make them. I make them different every time because I just grab whatever seasonings I can find and I add them until I think it's good. So here's my basic pinto bean recipe. One pound of pinto beans, three tablespoons taco seasoning. Salt, pepper, hot sauce, Tony Chatteries, garlic, and a meat or a ham bone of your choice. Pretty easy to me. Libby Gibbs. My daddy's Mississippi cornbread. Good God almighty. Cast iron, Sean. Use cast iron. And don't you dare try to wash it. Or a muffin tin will work. The man needs a Mississippi food truck serving his roast beef. My God. God, it's good. Fried silver queen cornbread sandwiches sliced with tomatoes sprinkled with black pepper. His cornbread had no measurements. You just eyeball it. Some flour, white silver fries and flour and cornmeal only. Don't put no yellow meal in there. A pinch of baking soda, a hearty pinch, hearty pinch of baking soda, buttermilk, black pepper, and mix and place in Crisco, heavy Crisco rubbed pan. Put it in the oven for 385. Nothing like a meal at daddy's. I believe it. Uh, here's Jane Cooley Guns recipe for cornbread. It's a good one. What more needs to be said, Sean? I have an 8-inch cast iron skillet in which I put about a tablespoon of oil and a pat of butter. On the eye of my stove to be getting hot in a small orange Tupperware bowl, I go on a mix and measure out about a cup of Martha White yellow self-rising cornmeal mix. One egg, enough buttermilk to make it right. Sometimes I add about half a cup of shredded cheese. It's good. It's real good. Flip it onto a plate, slice it, slide it up with butter, and enjoy it. Crisp and moist and heavenly, and my husband loves it. And that's what counts. Oh my goodness, I'm getting sick with hunger over here. Here's one uh, from Donna Robinson. Sean, this is my whipping cream pound cake recipe, and it never fails, never fails to win more fans every time I make it. I took a picture uh, with my new bunt cake pan because it's pretty. Uh, you can find that one. I probably don't have time to read through it. Uh, let's see. I'll get one more story here. Uh, this one is from Shanna Marie. Sean, my granny made cathead biscuits, and her son, my daddy, learned how to make them from her. Oh, he used to make us biscuits for school so many mornings. He was good at making biscuits, always with yellow label, which was what he grew up eating with his daddy. 
Every time I see or enjoy a yellow label, I'm reminded of those days my sweet daddy, who I now know as a mother myself, was tired and probably really didn't want to get into that kitchen before a long day of work ahead. He rose early to make us his special biscuits, food from the heart for sure. Wonderful memories and my favorite biscuits ever. beans and I like rice but I know something that's twice as nice no short ribs don't want no clam bake I want some of my mama's cake mammy's little baby like short nan short Nan, mammy's little baby like shortening bread. Mm. Mammy's little baby like shortening, shortening. Mammy's little baby like shortening bread. No casseroles, no fancy stew. I want that something that my mama do. No hot meat loaf. Don't want no big old steak I want some of my mama's cake huh. Mammy's little baby like Shortening, shortening Mammy's little baby like Shortening bread Mammy's little baby like Shortening, shortening Mammy's little baby like Shortening bread This song is a very, very old African-American song first captured by poet James Whitcomb Riley in 1900, who first remembers hearing it in 1890, probably goes way, way back before that. This is a very, very old folk song your mother probably sang to you, and her grandmother probably sang to her, and her great-grandmother probably sang to her right after Adam lost his rib. This, uh, this song has been recorded by all sorts of folks, and uh, we are certainly one of them. <laughs> I like grease and bacon too, but nothing does me like my mama do. No butter beans, no oat bran flakes, I want some of my mama's cake. Mammy's little baby like shortening, shortening. Mammy's little baby like shortening bread. Mammy's little baby like shortening, shortening. Mammy's little baby like shortening bread. Mammy's little baby like a shortening, shortening. Mammy's little baby like shortening bread. Some of the original lyrics of that song are kind of hard to sing. Uh, they're written in dialect form, like it's uh, fetch that dough from the kitchen shed, rake those coals out hot and red, put that oven on, put on the lid, mama's going to cook some shortening bread. And when that corn planting is done, 
Done come round blackbird on the whole planting ground. Corn is the grain, I've heard it said. Mama's little baby loves shortening bread. Shortening, of course, is lard. God bless lard. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, we got in the studio today uh, somebody very special. Uh, someone who has got everything set up right here on a countertop. You would love to see our studio, our normal messy studio with instruments and cables strung around and everything, uh, and band members who smell like something that's been passed through the system of a dying billy goat. Uh, right now, we have cooking stuff. A little little portable oven my wife brought from the house uh, that has seen better days. It's old and busted. And a little butcher block uh, countertop here, and we got bowling pots uh, over there. Uh, and and we got this thing right here that, that uh, is mine by my mother in law, my mother in law, Miss Mary. She is going to be, well, I call her Mother Mary, and I have called her that for about 17 years. She is going to be 80 years old coming up in a few, well, a few coming up, a few days. Uh, <laughs> she's going to make a classic recipe here, a classic recipe. Mother Mary is in the kitchen. What are you going to make for us today? Pear salad is so good. My goodness, my goodness. Did you ever make this for the Methodist church or the Methodist women's uh, stuff? I guess I did. <laughs> did your mother like this? I mean, this is an old dish. Yes. And what about your father? Yes. All right. Woman of uh, many words. Can you tell me something about Parasol from your childhood or something? Okay, this is one of the... Um, signature salads for the South, and um, buy a good um, can of uh, pears, pear hives, and drain them real well. And then you take them and you put one on top of a pretty lettuce leaf that makes a sort of a cup. And then you would put... Uh, a dab of mayonnaise, a duke, duke mayonnaise on top, and then shred some cheese on top of that, just a little, and there you have it with your uh, wonderful pear salad. And you use your um, salad fork um, to eat this, and it's good for Sunday dinner. All right, Mother Mary is going to demonstrate for us how to make pear salad. I thought I just did. <laughs> <laughs> um, get a can of, I believe it's Del Monte, um, pies, hives, and um, drain them, and then put uh, a half on uh, each piece of lettuce on a plate, a dessert plate, and then place your pie on it, and Take a spoon and put just a dollop of mayonnaise and shredded cheese on top of that. Could even use a cherry to top it off with. Bon appetit. <laughs> All right, there it sits right there on the plate looking good. Uh, before you go, yeah, give her a hand. Why not? I mean, it's not that hard to make, but whatever. Pear salad. Uh, before you leave, Mother Mary, and watch the rest of this train wreck happen in progress on on a Friday night, uh, 
I want you to tell us another food story. Well, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a food story, but you were telling it to us earlier uh, about your pet raccoon, Homer. And you go ahead and start from that, from the top. I was in um, middle school, I guess, and my daddy had gone hunting, and it was in the fall, and the leaves had fallen on the ground and were crunching under his foot, feet as he walked. But he thought he heard something else, and he'd stop, and he'd turn around and look and couldn't see anything. So he would start walking again, and the same thing would happen. He'd turn around and couldn't see anything. And then finally he saw this little, little baby raccoon that got separated from the mama, and he put it in his pocket and brought it home to me. And we had um, in the kitchen, we had a... a water and food dish up on his uh, little stand for him and he would wash his hands every time before he would eat and he'd take a bite of food and then he'd wash his hands again and uh, he slept with me uh, and oh it feels so good he would uh, I guess look for bugs or something in your eye <laughs> and um, but it'd feel good and I had him, I was going to show him off, and um, one night we were having a dinner party, and I brought Homer down on my shoulders, and I was showing off, and everybody started screaming, and he had lifted his tail and had shooting out diarrhea. <laughs> and, uh, but Homer bit everybody in the family but me. And they all wanted me to get rid of him. But when Homer bit me, then I gave him to our cook, Jessie May, and she took him home and had a special pen for him. And she was going to fatten him up and then um, eat him. But somebody stole the um, Homer out of her pen. And um, so she messed, missed out on that, on having Homer. Lord Almighty, you see what all this food's doing to us? Uh, well, as promised, uh, we're going to announce the winner of our golden skillet, our golden skillet, a, a contest that was based on submitting your family heirloom recipes, and the one that got the most likes is the one that receives the golden skillet. This episode, this portion of our program, is brought to you by Midnight Shift Coffee, the official coffee of the Pensacola Police Department. Midnight Shift Coffee donates a buck from every bag you purchase to the Riley Foundation to help fight pediatric cancer. Go visit MidnightShiftCoffee.com. Let's have a little bit of you know drama here while I announce the winner. <laughs> All right. The most likes on Facebook for the heirloom recipe. Most likes is... You know, I just uh, wanted to tell you... <laughs> Okay, okay. The most likes on Facebook for the heirloom recipe that wins the golden skillet. The most likes. You know, it's beautiful weather out today. I just... <laughs> on Facebook, the most likes. Kim Brock Issam. Kim Brock Issam. Kim Brock Issam submitted a recipe. I got the most likes. It was for grandma's fried apple pies and chicken and dumplings. 
Now, what's great about this recipe is she did not just submit something. She put this this Xerox copy picture of two recipes, fried apple pies and chicken and dumplings, in her grandmother's curlicued handwriting on a piece of lined notebook paper is what it looks like. And there's little notes in the margins. There's a note on the margin that says, roll dough out real thin. That's the kind of stuff I love. Oh, Kim Brock Issam, you win the golden skillet or more uh, specifically, your granny wins the golden skillet. And here's what Kim Brock Issam wrote. Dear Sean, instead of typing my grandma's recipe for fried apple pies and chicken and dumplings, here is a picture of her handwritten recipes. She's been gone for 10 years, and I'm pretty sure no one will ever be able to make fried pies as good as hers were. She and my grandfather raised seven kids and had 13 grandkids. We all came and went to their house constantly. Friday nights were usually spent at their house with the adults playing rook and the kids always running around the yard. She always had cake, cornbread, or pies cooked, whether she expected company or not. And everybody always felt at home at my grandma's house. Well, Kim, congratulations on winning the golden skillet, and congratulations to having a wonderful granny. If you would, reach out to us at seanofthesouthshow.com. There's a contact form. You can send us a message. Anybody who'd like to reach out to us, that's the best way because uh, through Instagram and Messenger and all the other uh, messaging platforms, sometimes your messages get caught in the spam filter and we never see them. So if you'd like to get in touch with us uh, to reach out to us instead of uh, you know, using any other method, just, just email us directly at seanofthesouthshow.com. You'll find it. Or send us a, some snail mail. Or address 183 Starlight Lane, Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, 32459. Care of Sean of the South. Or whatever else you want to put on the envelope. You know, I love I love to eat. And I realize that uh, it's, it's a problem. At least it used to be. You know, I was a kid. You might not know it to look at me now because I've gotten a little bit leaner over the years. But I was chubby. It's true. I've come to grips with it. I've learned how to deal with the fact that I was chubby. I've learned how not to be upset by pictures of myself. I used to not be able to look at pictures of myself. We had this huge cardboard box in my closet that is filled to the brim with faded photographs. And a lot of those photographs, I'd say two-thirds of them are of me. I was a redhead. Still am. I had pale white skin and buckshot freckles and a, a real bad set of buck teeth that, that presents an overbite that is big enough that you could drive a truck through. That's the kind of look I had. And then, then you make me chubby. And I was chubby. I was chubby. It looked like I was wearing a bulletproof vest of chub. But there was nothing I loved more than something that our church did, our fundamentalist backwoods church with the corrugated tin roof rusted on top and the crooked steeple and clapboards, white sides, and that, that little set of woods right there with the crickets screaming and all that that. Humidity hanging around in the air. There's a humidity in the air 
sometimes that just gets caught up in your nose and you can taste it and it's got its own flavor and its own set of nostalgic memories that go with it. In the back was this little tiny fellowship hall, little tiny fellowship hall. It had been built in 1940s, in the 1940s, right before the war ended. And this little congregation out in the woods needed a place to meet. It had wood floors originally, but then later on, they paved it with linoleum floors. And it had uh, open, exposed rafters originally with windows to open because there was no such thing as air conditioning. So they would open the windows and it would roll through the place and it would the heat would rise into the rafters and the other windows on the other side would let the hot air out. That's how they used to do fellowship halls. Well, when they put in the linoleum floors, they also paved the ceiling with asbestos tiles, popcorn asbestos tiles. These hovered over your head and they were very looming. And way over yonder in the corner, there was a bathroom. And that bathroom was an afterthought. Used to, we had a uh, outhouse out there, a two-seater, which is, that's uptown living, two-seater. It was a uh, basically a little shack with two holes in it. And those holes were adorned with a plastic toilet seat for comfort and durability. But then they added this bathroom, and this thing was about the size of a water heater closet, Teeny, teeny, tiny, with this door that always got jammed and stuck. And if you uh, were in there on a humid day and you got stuck in that bathroom, you were scared hookiless because uh, you thought you were going to be stuck in this little room with this tiny window that no human body could ever fit through. And so you'd beat on that door until somebody mercifully would save you. And then you'd merge out of the bathroom and there'd be all these people looking at you, waiting See this chubby boy squeeze himself out of this little tiny room. And there'd be a piano in the corner playing, usually hymns. Uh, usually by a 16-year-old girl or a 14-year-old boy or anybody who was studying piano. This was, this was training for the church pianists. Our church pianists on Sunday services were the good players. But this, on a Wednesday night uh, meeting or a Wednesday night social or a Wednesday night covered dish social, more specifically, these were the uh, the pianists in training. Well, a covered dish social is an experience all unto itself. If you would like to see the best food that America has to offer, you get yourself over to a covered dish social. They go by many names. Potlucks, or for the Southern Baptists, uh, who are having a version to luck, they go by pot providence. Or to the Holy Rollers, they are called rattlesnake deep fried dinners. <laughs> I said that joke one time when I was up near Sand Mountain, Alabama, and uh, went outside. My tires have been slashed, and someone set my car on fire. I take their a rattlesnake handler real seriously up in Sam Mountain, Alabama. An interesting person, uh, that that uh, holy roller up there. But, but, have you ever been to a snake handler's potluck? I'm not kidding about this. They have food that is made with love. 
these people who attend them them churches like that they're they're an interesting breed they're the kind of folks who soup up their their dodge charger to uh to just outlandish proportions so these things can just ride on the ceiling they go so fast and heavy and they brew moonshine in the bathtub but then they also handle them snakes and when they get together for their potlucks they eat food that you ain't never heard of before deep fried watermelon rinds they eat stuff that uh, that ought not be legal it is so fried in grease and wonderful every denomination has their own food but my denomination my denomination the southern baptists we were known for our food we were known for our fried chicken for our chicken casseroles we were known for our squash casseroles and those funeral potatoes cut so thin and, and small like your pinky nail. And they were topped with cheddar cheese and cream of chicken soup and cornflakes. Cornflakes. Oh, good Lord. And at the end of the table, end of the table, there'd always be this little collection of a golden, delicious, light, dense, any kind of variety, heavy, Faded uh, flower colors that just sing when the light hits them. The light from that window. And I'm, of course, talking about pound cake. It's the kind of cake that when the preacher man walks through the line, and he's always first to walk through the line. He always pretends he doesn't want to be first, but everybody makes him go first. because You know why? Because he's got to say the prayer. <laughs> and he won't pray until he got his plate. So, it's important we put him to the line first, or we will be there until the second coming of Elvis Presley. He goes through the line, he gets his plate, loads it up, and when he gets to that pound cake, he gets a separate plate. Because a preacher man don't play, and he knows the score. He knows that he needs more square inches to fulfill his pound cake needs, so he loads his plate up. With one slice of Sister Schubert's pound cake, not the Sister Schubert who makes the biscuits. No, we had a real Sister Schubert. Her name was Sister Elena Schubert. And then Sister Lida Ann's pound cake. And then some pound cake from a visitor, which has chocolate swirls in it. We don't know what that's about, but, you know, we're not upset about it. He would pound, He would load his cake up, and he'd go set it down on the table. And then he would gather everybody uh, around their own tables whether they had food or not, and we'd all have to fold our hands in front of our laps. If you were a child, you you had to just uh, you had to just wait, you know, because the parents got up there first to get their food a lot of times. And you would bow your heads and you'd listen to him pray for roughly thirty six hours. He would say prayers so long and drawn out and detailed that they would make your knees lock up. These are the kinds of prayers that you don't hear much anymore. These are the kinds of prayers that had old English embedded in them because he had learned how to read that King James Bible. So he talked in a way that was a little bit funny. You didn't quite understand how he, what he was saying all the time. Dear Lord, dear Lord, we ask thee to come into thine presence and blesseth thy food that is before us. And after he would pray for so long and so hard until that squiggly vein in his forehead was poking out and that, that red neck of his had, had the tendons just, you know, popping out, he would always say the same thing. Always. And they do this just about in every church I've been in. Methodist, Baptist, 
Holy Rollers, Pentecostal, Church of God, Church of Christ, where they don't believe in pianos, Lutherans, Catholics, and even, if you can believe it, the godless Episcopalians. I don't know about the Presbyterians because Presbyterians are, I'm not sure many of them are even alive. They, uh, at least they don't look at you with the, a smile that would indicate that they have a pulse. <laughs> just about every denomination, just about every group of folks says this during their prayers when there's food involved. Bless the hands that prepared it. Such an interesting phrase, you know. I love phrases that come to us from, from long ago. Just like that song, uh, Mammy's Little Baby Like Short and Bread. Love that. It's a documented oration of our history, passed down through the power of words. Bless the hands that prepared it. What an interesting thought. The hands, those, those wrinkled hands that them church ladies have, waterlogged hands that have been washing dishes for so long, them hands that know exactly how to make cornbread by feel, cathead biscuits by feel. They know how to make grits to where they're not too hard, not too soupy. They know exactly how much cheese to add to those grits so that they don't get stringy. The hands that know how to knead that lard into that flour up on the flour countertop to make that, that cathead biscuit dough. They know when them biscuits are ready simply by the look of it. They don't have to touch it. They, they know when that cake is ready by getting the broom straw out or the cornbread's ready by getting the broom straw broken off from that piece of a broom and stabbed right down into the middle of it. And they bring it out, and if it's too wet, it needs to go back in. If it's dry, it's ready to come out. The hands, they're prepared to food. How marvelous. Then... When it was all said and done, little chubby boy Sean Dietrich, he'd go up to the line and he'd get a little bit of everything. Now, this is my confession. Every single time I went up to go get a plate of food, every single time, the old man who was behind me, <laughs> Brother Jether, and behind him was usually my Uncle Tommy Lee. Uh, I always find myself around these men. Brother Jether, Brother, uh, Uncle Tommy Lee, they'd, they'd look at me and they'd say the same thing. Your eyes are bigger than your stomach, kid. Your eyes are bigger than your stomach. And they were right. I took more food than was possible for me to eat. But you can't help it. When there's a smorgasbord in front of you, you can't help but take everything, a little of something that everybody made. And I would eat so much, I'd go back for seconds, thirds, and fourths every time for a long time when we had Wednesday night covered dish socials. By the end... Of the dinner period, I would go back to that little water closet bathroom and I would knock on the door after I'd eaten everything that could be eaten. And someone would be in there. And so I couldn't get into that room. I would run out the front doors of the fellowship hall, tear down the steps, through that uncut lawn that Brother Gary had forgotten to mow for the third thousandth time because he he never he was just about as worthless as a white crown or our maintenance man. Sorry, white crown, crown. Now tear through that yard all the way to the edge of the woods where the woods started behind the church. I would place my hands on my knees. I would lean forward, and I would puke my guts out. There was nothing I could do to stop it. I was as full as a tick 
I was as full as a tick, and I was about to burst. The pain had gotten so bad that I couldn't breathe. And I would just right there unload everything I had. And more times than not, I would look over there to the side, way over on the edge of the property that the church owned, right there against the woods where the tree line started and the yard stopped. And I would see our preacher doing the same daggum thing.
Well, that's our show for you here this week. I want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in tonight on a Friday night. You could have been doing something productive with your time, something beneficial. But instead, you, well, you uh, tuned in here and wasted about an hour of your life that you'll never get back. And I want to thank you for it. Thank you for tuning in each week. You make our lives feel like they have a little bit more purpose than they did before you came along. Thank you to Mother Mary, who's in the studio with us here, and my wife for helping us learn how to cook a little bit better, and to my dog, Thelma Lou, for being steadfast and by my side. Thank you for everybody who submitted a recipe this week on Facebook, Instagram, Snail Mail, Messenger, or any other platform. You have no idea how much weight I'm going to gain as a result of this. Thank you to Kim, who won... Uh, our Golden Skillet Award. Thank you to Josh Shepard, Jake Dillard, Robert Trio Chips, Senator Dan Conroy, and Aaron Peters playing that fiddle box. And anybody else who helps make this show possible. This uh, final song we're going to sing here is in honor of all the women who stained their hands with flour and lard and salt and sugar in order to make us feel loved, in order to let us know that we matter. There's a land that is fairer than day And by faith we can see it afar For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall Beautiful, meet on 